Hey there, I'm Joanne Tambrakis, and this is Marketing, Mindfulness, and Martinis. Unfiltered conversations, or as I like to say, opinions shaken, not stirred, on what's changing and what's not in business and in life as we enter into the next normal. So pour yourself your beverage of choice, and let's get to it. My guest today is a veteran senior leader who has led marketing teams around the world for organizations that include American Express and Gray. She speaks and mentors on communication, content, and community, and has spoken at events including the Digital Marketing World Forum. And she's also been recognized as a global advertising and marketer, 40 over 40. A graduate of the Yale School of Management, where she studied organizational behavior and leadership, she is currently the Vice President of Global Marketing for Content and Advocacy for SAGE, which is where we crossed paths several years back. And as if that is not enough, she is also the author of Your Resource is Human, How Empathetic Leadership Can Help Remote Teams Rise Above. Love that title, which is available for pre-order now and will be, which we will be discussing today. So welcome to the podcast, Melissa Romo. Thank you so much, Joanne. I'm I'm so thrilled to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm I'm delighted to have you too. I, I love the topic of this book. But before we get into that, I always like to start with my favorite question, which is where are you from? So I am from the States. I was actually born in the nation's capital. My dad was a was an army uh lieutenant. Tenant when I was born. So I was born at Walter Reed Army Medical Center. Oh, wow. Um, all the other little army babies. That was me. Um, and grew up most of the time in the DC uh, sort of beltway suburbs for part of the time in Maryland, part of the time in Virginia. So I know that part of the country very well. And, and as an adult, I have lived in most of the time in New York City, but I have, I continue to boomerang over to Europe over and over again um, <laughs> in, in different jobs and also marrying a Spaniard. So we do a lot of transatlantic travel. Okay. Well, I don't think Spain was on the list of cities that you've worked in when I was doing my research. But, <laughs> no, um... I haven't worked there. I just go to the beach there. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think it's, it's some of those beaches are warm now. Is that correct? Am I right? This time, some of the Southern beaches yeah, in Spain. I mean, this time of year, Spain does get cold. Um, we're, we're recording this in December, so it, it will be cold in, in Northern Spain where my husband's from. It will, it will snow. Um, but if you stick to the South, like Andalusia and you know, places like Marbella and Malaga, um, it's always warm. So um, I keep wanting to go over there to spend long periods of time, but my husband actually loves New York. So it's going to be hard to get him out of here. Well, you know, we we either love New York or we don't. It's, you know, which is okay yeah. by me. It's just okay by me because <laughs> I, I, we are recording this in December. And for those who are listening and were worried that um, something happened to New York during the pandemic, all they need to do is walk down the street because you can't. <laughs> it's just yeah. completely yeah. jammed with, with people. It is. So now while your MBA was in organization behavior and leadership, your experience has been in marketing. Not that those disciplines are necessarily sitting in separate silos. But how did a book on leading remote ter- teams come to be? So it really is a passion project. Um, it doesn't actually have uh, anything to do with my functional work um, at Sage, um, but it is how I run my teams. So I 
have been a remote worker for more than 10 years, and I have been leading remote teams um, during all of that time in different capacities, um, so, some of it even as an entrepreneur, as a as a freelance writer, leading teams of people doing design and editing and, and things like that. And then going into um, corporate jobs and leading uh, remote teams all over the world. And um, my current, you know, my current assignment is where I have people in 10 cities all over the world. And so I went through the pandemic. Um, What was interesting was I was working like this for years before the pandemic happened. And then the pandemic happened and I saw kind of everyone go home and work remotely. And, um, and what was interesting was in my area where I live, I, you know, I live in Hoboken, New Jersey, which is a lot of corporate workers here. And, you know, everybody went home and talking to my friend group, what was really fascinating to me was they all said they hadn't talked to their managers in like months, you know, three months, four months, five months. And I'm thinking to myself, where are these managers? <laughs> you know, like, what are they doing? You know, what, what do they not, do they know what you're doing? You know, do you, you know, do they know if you're okay? You know, things like that. So there, it struck me that, you know, in the, in the, in the era of management by walking around, you know, which became very popular in management literature in the 20th century, if you take management by walking around and you send everyone home, you can understand why managers might have sort of not known what to do, right? Like mm-hmm. I can't walk around anymore because no one's here. So I was kind of, you know, looking around at my friend group and realizing how manage it really seemed to me that managers didn't know what to do when everybody mm-hmm. went home. And because I had been doing remote team leadership for so many years, um, and I was very passionate about, you know, how to keep people connected despite the distance. Um, and I developed all of these little tricks and tips and, you know, just habits and things that I do with the team that actually were working for my team and, you know, really had created a strong culture in my team. And a a friend was like, was watching me do all that. And she said, you have to write a book. Like the, Mm -hmm. the, the managers of the world need to know how to do what you do. So that's how it happened. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it's, it's so timely. It's, it's kind of crazy how timely it is. And I was like, I was laughing to myself when you said management by walking around, because um, I I'm a big believer in that. I think that you get a sense of what's happening sometimes, even when you're not necessarily speaking to individuals, you can kind of, you know, sense what's happening in the organization. And that is a challenge that is challenging to do when you're working remotely because you can't really walk. (laughs) You can't walk virtually into someone's living room. <laughs> you actually really cannot do management by walking around anymore. And that's, and I, you know, before COVID in, you know, in the old days, um, a couple of years ago, less than 5% of the, of the, of the global workforce was actually fully remote. So it was a very unusual thing to be doing even in 2019. And so you can understand why management by walking around still made sense. And I, um, I believe in it too. I believe like the worst thing you can do as a leader is just sit in your corner office with the door shut and you never see people and you never interact with people. You know, you have to walk the floor, you have to go into the kitchen, you have to, you know, hang around at the water cooler. Like you, people need to get to know you and you need to get to know them. So I am also a big um, believer in management by walking around, but I think what I did that I 
that I think was a harder flip for many managers to do is in all the years I was running a remote team, I, I just figured out how to do management by walking around through a screen. Like I just figured out how to do those things. Like sometimes I will just randomly just send a message on Microsoft Teams to someone in my organization and say, hey, do you have a few minutes? I'm having a coffee. It would be great to catch up, you know? Wow. So I, I I purposely was doing those things because otherwise I wasn't, I wasn't interacting with people in very serendipitous ways. And so I was purposely doing those things to the point where they just became very rote and very natural to me. And, and I was realizing that they aren't for most managers. No, they're not. But it's also, you know, as you're saying that, I'm thinking it's, it's also, I think one of the challenges that a lot of these companies that are forcing people to go back into the office, and I do want to talk about that a little bit, is that mm. if I don't see you, you're not working. But yeah. when you're kind of dropping in like that and your staff knows that they're that they're doing that, then they're they're expecting it. So I think it's also a way yeah. of knowing that they're not necessarily spending the whole day doing their laundry while the Zoom screen is on. Well, that's a real big area, what you just brought up there. Um, the whole, whole going, do you want to talk about the going back into the office uh, bit of it where we are today? Yeah, there's there's a lot, there's a lot there to, to kind of unpack. And um you know, my my point of departure for my book was actually the fact that I struggled to work from home. Mm-hmm. I even though I had these techniques that were helping me manage my team, I personally am an extrovert and I get a lot of energy by being around other people. And so I was spending all these years working from home and I was really in, a, I had a quandary because I loved my job and I love the company I worked for but I would often wake up very demotivated. I was, I felt very lonely. I, um, I would get distracted. Um, I even felt bored, even though I love my job and I love my team, but I'd have these like big moments of long hours of boredom, even though I had plenty to do. And so when I came to writing this book and that, um, I was working with a publisher and I was outlining the book and she said, what are the first, what are the first chapters going to be about? And I was thinking the first chapters are going to be about explaining why is it hard, right? Mm-hmm. Because selfishly, I wanted to a- answer this question for myself. <laughs> why do I feel lonely? Why do I feel bored? I even felt paranoid, right? I would feel left out of certain meetings and I would feel kind of paranoid. And I thought there was something wrong with me, right? Everybody loves working from home who's got who's lucky enough to be able to do it. So what's wrong with me? So the reason I wrote the book was to answer the question, why do I feel those things? And are those things normal? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? I was looking for the data and I was looking for the research about are these things normal? And here's the good news. They're very normal, right? <laughs> feeling bored, feeling lonely, even feeling depressed, even feeling paranoid, which feel like very like complicated emotions are actually frequent and very normal. And so the the beginning of my book is really explaining what I call in each chapter, the facts behind the feelings, right? Mm -hmm. So as you go through each chapter, it explains to you, why do you feel bored? This is why, right? Because you're at home. These are the tendencies. This is what the data says. This is what the research says. So it's a heavily researched book because I wanted to answer the question for myself in the research. And so that's what the first part of the book is. 
And the reason I bring that up is because back to your question about, you know, what's happening with companies forcing people to go back into the office. Um, I think it is for the most part unhealthy to always be at home, right? Five days, you know, 24 seven to always be at home. There are some people who will do great, right? Who will thrive. It fits their personality. They might be more introverted. They they might have the type of work that needs like very heavy focus. Maybe they're a writer or something like that. And you can understand why with that kind of job, you you know, being at home actually kind of helps keep things sane. So I, I won't say universally it's not healthy, but I think when you take someone who's an extrovert, someone who needs the energy from other people, who works in a highly collaborative type of job, it, it, it is, it, it, you, there are lots of pitfalls that they have to overcome by being at home. Mm-hmm. And so when people ask me, do you think it's a good idea that companies are forcing people back into the office? My answer is yes. I, I do think it's a good idea. Not five days a week. I think, I think that starts to become a time waster because I think we've learned that a Monday through Friday commute is sucks up a lot of productive time that we could be doing work or or doing things we need to do for ourselves, but it sucks up a lot of productive time. And even being in person in an office is less productive, right? Because if you think about how it is when you're at home, I can have a, a Zoom call, I can hang up the Zoom call, and literally in an instant, I can start the next Zoom call, right? Mm-hmm. So I can just go boom, 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 boom through all my meetings, And I never have to move around. I never have to go to a different conference room or a different floor. I don't have to find the person. It's all happening in my computer screen. So at home, we're actually super productive. And when we go in, we're less productive. So I think going in five days a week doesn't make any sense from a productivity standpoint. So I don't think that's right. You know, if I'm asked, I don't think that's right. But do I think it makes sense to go in one day, two days, three days a week? I actually think it makes tons of sense. And I think it's a good balance. Now, two um, to the question of um, days, certain days of the week being mandated, right? Because some companies are mm-hmm. saying, well, you have to go in on Wednesday, you have to go in Thursday, or you have to go on Tuesday, whatever. A lot of people don't like that, right? Because they feel like it takes away their autonomy. And autonomy is a very, very important thing. It's connected to self-determination theory, which is all, you know, which is researched very heavily, you know, decades ago by psychologists. And we really need to feel like we can determine our own path. And when we don't feel that way, we tend to disengage from our activity, right? And this is, as a company, you do not want this. You do not want people feeling that their autonomy is taken away and they disengage because you will not get the best. Not only will you not get the best out of them, you won't even get their discretionary effort, which is what (laughs) you really want. You really want them thinking about a problem they need to solve for you kind of all the time. You want them to be passionate about it. That only comes from discretionary effort and they will never give you that if they feel their autonomy has been taken away. So telling someone they have to go into the office on a certain day does risk that autonomy. However, what we have to think about is the person, I've been very, very influenced by someone close to me who I've been watching this year who started in a new job and he goes to the office five days a week and he sits by himself and he is in a, he's in a brand new job. He's in the middle of his career. So it isn't that he needs to learn, right? He, he already has the skills and everything, 
but he needs to get a read of the culture. He needs mm-hmm. to get to know people in the company. He needs to build a network in the company. And guess what? If he goes and no one else goes, he can't do that. So the reality is we can't help the people who need us unless we show up, right? And we can't help the people who need us if we, you know, they come in on a Wednesday and we come in on a Tuesday, right? Like we, there has to be some level of coordination. And I do think there's, people need to just kind of calm down about this, right? Like we, you know, if we all just agree, we're going to just shake hands and say, okay, every Wednesday, we're all coming in, right? Like that, that may, assuming there's space, right? Space is another issue because companies are changing their space allocations, but assuming there's space, we all agree we're coming in on a Wednesday, then everybody gets what they need. The people who, the people who need to be at home get that time. The people who need the, the community and the connection with other colleagues get that time, right? So everybody gets what they need. So I do think it's important to go in a couple of days a week. And I do think it's important to do it in a coordinated way. And I think people need to just kind of relax about the autonomy stuff. Honestly, I just, I, you know, <laughs> I, I totally get it. But I mean, imagine three years ago, a company saying to you, Hey, if you want to work from home three days a week, we're totally cool with that. That would never have happened. No, right. And never. now pretty much every company is saying, we're totally cool with that. Two days a week, three days a week, totally fine. And so we're 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 lo- we're we're not even paying attention to that. I mean, that is huge progress when you think about autonomy. That's huge progress. And so if a company is asking you, uh, the trade-off is that you come in every Tuesday and Wednesday, then so be it, right? No, I'm right there with you. And you answered a couple of my, actually, we answered several of my questions already. <laughs> Sorry, you got me and, going. <laughs> no, that's fine because I'm like, okay, we'll just check, check, check these questions. Um, and as, you know, I, I can remember in my corporate days when I worked for individuals who, if you were not in the office, you weren't working. You know, I was always on the sales yeah. ends of yeah. things. So you better yeah. show your face in the morning and you better show your face at the, again, again at the end of the day. And a lot of the times it was totally wasted time, but it did feel yeah. like someone was trying to connect with you. And I do agree yeah. with you know, trying to put, put the reins on you, so to speak. But I do agree with you that I think, you know, people, we, we go from one ex- extreme to the other a lot in our society. I think we've seen that a lot in the last few years. It's just the point of yeah. being in the office is for that connection. You know, I personally still have so many friendships that I've made from when my decades ago in my career that I started because we had that, that bond within there. And that's the thing that, that is the missing piece with working remotely and being in the office a few days of the week when the same people are there is is definitely a fix for it. Yeah, it absolutely is. And, and, you know, I, when I started in my career, I started at gray advertising and you didn't go home until the last, you know, VP or director left, right? Yeah, I was, I was right there. That was, that's I was the way CBS new. and Time Warner were. <laughs> you, you waited, you, you know, I remember circling the floor, checking the offices to see who was still there. And if there was still a VP or director there, I didn't leave, right? I stayed. And, you know, what I'm excited about with remote work is we, those days are over, right? Those, like, there was no reason for me to be there. I wasn't doing anything. I was just walking around the floor to see who was still there. And like, when could I go? Right. Like I had, you know, had I done what needed to be done and, but I wasn't leaving. I felt stuck there. So that's just unproductive. And that just saps people's energy and it drains time away from other things that they could be doing to enrich their lives and make them just more whole people. So those days are over. And I'm really glad about that. And what I would say about 
you know, there, there's a whole piece about trust that I write about in my book. And um, I, I interviewed this one CEO who shared with me while we were in our interview, his company's remote working pledge. It's not even called a policy, it's called a pledge. And the remote working pledge is a contract of agreement between colleagues. It's not even from like executives down. It's it's across, it's across the company. Everyone takes the pledge and makes the pledge to each other. And the pledge basically says, I, I will manage my time in the most efficient way. I will collaborate and organize my time according to what works for my colleagues. You know, I will deliver, you know, that work that's expected of me, this kind of stuff. But it's really about a pledge of working in a, in the smartest way possible and delivering the right work and the best work, right? So it's about the work and it's about the way we get the work done. And I thought it was so enlightened, you know, and he, he's a, he's a CEO and he said to me, if you don't have trust, right? If you don't trust the people that you've hired to get their work done, why did you hire them? Right. Like you, you have to go back to your own decision to hire them. Why did you hire them if you don't trust them? And I write about managing performance in my book. And um I couch managing performance in a um in a I I, I have there's these five kind of mindsets that I want leaders to create by using my book. And one of the mindsets I want leaders to create is belonging. And belonging helps. Uh, a huge amount as a as an antidote to loneliness, right? Like I'm I'm not going to feel as lonely if you make me feel like I'm belonging, right? And so, belonging, ironically, it, I mean, in my experience, and and this is what I believe, can be created through managing performance. And what I mean by that is, imagine how great it feels when you uh, finish a re- finish a report or you launch a campaign or you uh, get through product design and you're launching your product, right? Imagine how, you know, think about how exciting that feels, especially when you do it with other people, right? When you do it as part of a squad or part of a team. And so the, the most beautiful moment and the time when we have the most heightened feeling of belonging is when we are accomplishing something, when we are ticking something off and doing it with other people. And so in my mind, managing performance is so key to belonging, right? And the way you have to do it when you run, when you manage a remote team is just looking at the, like looking at the work, looking at the output, right? right? It isn't, it isn't, you know, did they go to the dentist at 1030 in the morning and <laughs> are, are you panicking because you see the like little yellow circle that they're offline and they've been offline for 27 minutes, like if that's what you're focusing on, you're not focusing on the right thing. You need to be focusing on what they have to deliver and when they have to deliver it. So it means as a manager, you have to be organized. You know, you have to, I have a grid of like who owes me what, when, and I'm always updating that every week. Everyone has goal performance goals in my team. Everyone across my whole company has performance goals. And we're constantly looking at checking in on those. Are are we tracking to achieve those for the year? So we're just looking at performance goals all the time. If you're doing that, if that's where you're focusing your energy, then you're going to get you're going to get what you're paying for. You're going to get the output that you need, and the, for the reason that you've hired this person. If what you're doing is just looking at the little bubble that says if they're online or offline, 
frankly, you're as a manager, you're being lazy, right? Like, and and I'm saying this with all the love in my heart for all the managers out there, because I've had my moments of laziness. I've had my moments where I did not have things sewn up. I did not have a grid telling me who owes me what, when I didn't have goals and things are messy and you end up just watching the bubble and wanting to know where they are. Well, you're playing traffic cop. You're traffic cop. You're playing traffic cop, but not on the right things, right? Not on the right things. <laughs> exactly. So my advice to anyone who's feeling nervous about, you know, are people getting done what they have to get done is to go back to basics, right? What is the output that you're looking for? What are the milestones? What are the KPIs? And is that what you're talking to this person about? And if it is, you're going to be, you're going to be fine. You're going to get what you're paying for. So that's what you have to do. You keep an- answering the questions before I even get to them. So this is, um, I, I have to figure out where I am here. But I do, I do, I, we didn't really touch on this yet. So you talk about, and this is actually in your subtitle, this idea of empathetic leadership. And now I've worked for a lot of different bosses in my time. And I can't say empathy was a skill that they necessarily embodied. In fact, in my experience, it was almost frowned upon and at times considered irrational. So why do you think that word is drawing so much attention now? Is it a result of the pandemic? Is it because it was shifted to to, to, um, remote work or is this just an evolution that's happening? Yeah, I mean, empathy is is like um, part of emotional intelligence, right? Which Daniel Goleman wrote about um, I hope I'm not misquoting the author. I think it was Daniel Goleman. Um, but there was a very important author, I'll to get my author straight, who wrote a book called Emotional Intelligence. I think this was in the 80s or 90s. Um, yeah. And, you know, the subtitle of the book was something like why it's even more important than IQ. Mm-hmm. So, you know, 30, 40 years ago, we were writing about how important EQ is and why it's more important than IQ. And this was part of our management thinking, right? Now, fast forward to 2021 when uh, there was a there's a leadership study that came out in 2021 with thousands of CEOs, and I write about this in my book that asked CEOs uh, if they thought empathy was important, and it was something like over 70% said they did. They did think it was important, and then just as many, like such you know, as high percentage said, but we don't think we, we, we don't want to show it because we will lose respect. Wow. Right. So it's like, (laughs) we, we know it's important, but we will lose respect. So we aren't going to do it. So we're in this real, um, I think, especially at C-level ranks and people who are executives and, you know, I'm in my fifties now. So sort of all of my peers, we're having this real crisis of conscience where we we know we have to be empathetic. We've been hearing it for decades, but you know we're really afraid that people are going to laugh at us. Um, they're going to attack our vulnerabilities, or they're going to uh, lose respect for us. And so we are we are we are not doing it. Now, what I do in the book is I I I've basically created kind of a decision tree, which is the first half of the book is this is how it feels to work as a remote person, because I want an executive or a leader to empathize. I want them to just sit with that data and sit with that experience. And I tell these sort of case study stories through the first part of the book so that if you're managing people remotely, you can just read that first part and go, okay, now I'm starting to get a sense of what it's actually feeling like to be at home all the time and to be remote and not near people and all all of that. And then the second half of the book is a decision tree, which is if you are 
if you suspect that the person working for you feels lonely, then this is what you can do as a leader, right? This is how you can bring that person back in and re-engage them and make them feel better about being in your team, right? And I give dis- I give discussion starters and I give what I call leadership blueprints, you know, kind of like an architect to help managers build empathy for a lonely employee, right? Because you can't, it's really hard to just say to a manager, go be empathetic, right? Because <laughs> some some managers are just not, right? They just, just they're not, not their huggy, nature. They're not the huggy type. They're not, you know, they're not all about, oh, let's talk about, you know, you you had a bad weekend. Let's talk about it. Like a lot of managers are just, they just want to get down to business and that's, that's okay. And so what I hope my book does is give managers a kind of rational blueprint for, you know, I I really take them by the hand, ask these questions, (laughs) you know, do these things during the week. You know, I really take them by the hand. And what I want to have happen is they do create, in the case of loneliness, they create belonging. And before they know it, they've been empathetic. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> well, I know. I mean, I think for some people, I, I happen to be a little bit of an empath myself. So it comes more naturally to me. I will sense when people are not, something is a little off and, and get to it. But not everyone is like that. It, does, it doesn't come no. naturally. And, you, and you're giving people, you're giving mad CEOs a blueprint. I love yes, it. Love it. And yes. you keep on answering, you keep getting, it's hysterical. Every time I, I look down to my next question, I'm like, well, she just answered that. So, and it's nice that it's going in the, in the order that I have. Now, um, here, we're going to go off a little bit. In my research, I discovered you're on TikTok, which is a network mm-hmm. that I happen to personally love, but I really don't have the bandwidth to create content for. I just get lost in, in other people's content. Yeah. Um, can you talk about, because you're a marketer too, why you chose that? And of course, right now, as we're recording this, there is, you know, potential legislation to ban TikTok in the United um, States. So um, by the time people are listening yeah. to this, I don't know whether that'll still be alive <laughs> it or, be banned. or it'll be, it'll be banned. So the, I mean, one of the reasons, well, the main reason I went on is um, my publisher is in the UK and uh, she got us all together in November for, you know, kind of a a learning day, a day of education. And she had someone come speak to us who has tens of thousands of followers. He's a writer and he's on TikTok. And she said um, to her author, co- you know, cadre there in the room, you all need to be on TikTok. Now he gave a great presentation. He really helped us understand what he does and how easy it is. And the main reason that you want to be on TikTok is because TikTok is still in such early days that they are, um, not only are they not hiding your content, which happens on Facebook, for example, but they're actually promoting your content to people who they think are gonna like it. So there's an opportunity for your content to be discovered on TikTok, which is which is much better than it is on any of the other social media platforms um, out there. So that's, that's, one of, that's probably the main reason that I've started putting content there is I want, I want to be discovered by other people um, through TikTok's algorithms. And, you know, it, it, it will have to see what happens. I mean, there are definitely security concerns with TikTok and yeah, I've even seen people, you know, posting videos about how their hand, their handle has been hijacked and someone's impersonating them and TikTok can't stop it and they can't close the accounts. And so there's, there's definitely security concerns, but, um, 
but that's why, I mean, that's why I'm there is because of the discoverability is so much stronger on TikTok than it is on any of the other social media platforms and launching a book. I just want to be just, you know, I want people to discover me and my message and I want leaders to be able to find my book. And you'd be surprised that um, TikTok is not all like 14 year olds. I mean, oh, I know. No of, one believes um, me when I say it, but I'm telling you. I'm there, thinking... there are a lot of, uh, I, I want to say something like um, 30% of the audience is oh. over 30 or something like or 40% of the audience. So like it's a good chunk of people over 30. Um, Kevin Bacon is one of my favorite follows. I follow uh, Kevin him Bacon too. and his daughter uh, always publish really fun stuff. And so does John Travolta and his daughter. It's like, it's a whole father daughter thing that I, that I have going on on my feed. Um, but it's uh it's good and we'll see what happens with the I heard about the legislation so we'll see what happens with the legislation I do understand the security concerns and I do it does kind of make me it gives me pause but I keep putting yeah. videos out anyway well you know as as someone who teaches social media is one of the subjects that I teach I'm more well versed in this than I I probably even want to be at this point there's security reasons on all the social networks. There's there's issues. Yeah. I think the Chinese connection is what is concerning people yeah. about what they might be doing with the data. But in yeah. terms of engagement and how it's working for brands, it's just phenomenal. And the and and they yeah. have that book talk. I mean, people have just mm-hmm. come out of and it's young people reading. Yep. So you know, it's it's I don't know. I'm, I'm yeah. I don't know what I'm going to do if I'm going to um, if that that happens. Now there was also. Um, Another question that I want to ask you before we get to my little lightning round at the end, because I found this fascinating in one of your Substack newsletters, which I will put the link to in the show notes so that people can people can subscribe to it. You talked about an experiment you did with keeping your camera off during meetings as opposed to on. Mm. Now, I believe it stemmed from some research you found that was this 96% of the carbon footprint from a virtual meeting is streaming video of yourself and you wanted to be more sustainable. So keeping mm-hmm. cameras on when I happen to be teaching online is one of my pet peeves. My new thing is mm. if you don't have your camera on, I'm not counting you as present because I know what I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah. I love what you uncovered. So could you talk about that? Because I, I I was like, oh my gosh, this is great. The, the main thing I figured out was um, I listen better when the camera's off, which really surprised me. Um, I do struggle with multitasking. I think everybody does when you're on your laptop and you're on a Zoom because there's so many other things. There's a tab, there's a couple tabs open and you have your instant messaging and you have your emails and you just, you know, there's just so many other things quickly to look at if the call starts to go get a little boring and we all do that. And then before I know it, I'm just multitasking on three things in the middle of the call and I'm thinking, why am I even on this call? So when I turn the camera off, you'd think I might have multitasked more but I actually multitasked a lot less because I was I was engaging my brain more to follow what the person was saying verbally because my eyes couldn't tell me anything. So it's almost mm-hmm. like I th- it almost feels like this, you know, insight we have about you know the, the people who are blind who don't have the power of sight are have much stronger hearing you know, or vice versa. If you're, um, if you don't have your hearing, you have other, your sense of touch, maybe your vision, like other things are much stronger for you. So it almost felt like that, that was happening to me. So I was listening better. The other thing I realized was sometimes I really do need the camera and sometimes I don't. So the decision about the camera needed to be situational. I, it, it, it didn't have to be like, every meeting I had to have the camera on or every meeting off. Like it, I really needed to be more thoughtful 
about why I needed the camera on. So for example, if I'm in a town hall and there's 500 people on the call and I'm there Mm -hmm. listening to, you know, one of our executives uh, talking about a topic and it's important for me to, you know, to get it, but my seeing my face isn't important. Right. So that Mm -hmm. goes, that, that can go off. And I don't, I don't think it needs to be on for me to get um, to take the material in. But if I'm talking to, and also if I'm talking to someone one-on-one and I work with this person day in and day out, we have almost daily interactions. Having the camera on is kind of not necessary. We already know, we already know each other. We have built a rapport already. There's trust and confidence. So we don't really need the camera. We can just listen to each other and talk like in the old days on the telephone. When I do need the camera is when I'm potentially talking about something that might be challenging for the other person to hear if I have to deliver, you know, a challenging message to them, or we are trying to solve a complicated problem, or maybe we've never talked to each other before and we're trying to solve a complicated problem together. So when there's complexity and potentially emotions that will be part of the communicate, be part of the conversation, I turn the camera on. And, and I think what was good about my experiment is I realized what having the camera off did for me, the values it brought to me. And it also made me conscious. I, I, I had it off entirely for a week, like, or maybe a month. It was actually maybe a month. I had it off entirely for a month and it immediately made me recognize when I missed the camera and when I needed the camera. And so Mm -hmm. then when I went back to using it again, I was much more conscious about when I really needed it. I love it. I love it. I love the title of this book. I love everything about it. I think it's, I think I can't begin to tell you how timely I think it is and how well you're going to do with it, but let me go here. I have a few, I like to finish up with a lightning round of questions. If I can find them here, because you've been so far ahead of all my questions that I don't even know where I am on my list. Okay. (laughs) I've spent the whole year with the book. So that's why (laughs) I I kind of know Uh, where the conversation goes now. (laughs) No, it's good. It means you're well prepared for for the many interviews you'll be doing. Um, Favorite social network. Uh, right now, TikTok. Okay, there we go. <laughs> I, I kind of knew that answer already, but it was on my list. Something people would never guess about you. Um, I have landed a plane. I have taken off and landed a plane like by myself. Um, I took flying lessons in college. So wow. I do. I don't have a pilot's license, but I do know how to land and take off a tiny Cessna. Um, and it was terrifying. And that's why I don't. I don't have a pilot's license. It was just beyond my level of bravery. Right, but just in case they needed someone to land the plane. That's right. If I'm I'm in the Airbus, don't come get me. (laughs) The last series that you binged. So I did get sucked into Harry and Meghan. Yeah, I did too. I did too. (laughs) I did get sucked into it and it wasn't what I thought it was going to be about. Um, So it was, it was, it was interesting from a sociological and a psychological standpoint, which I'm always fascinated by that kind of stuff. Um, And the Harry and Meghan bit was kind of less interesting to me, but the psychology of what was going on, I found very interesting. Yeah, no, I know. I I was, I wasn't going to watch it. And then I was like, well, just watch one episode and just so you can make your own decision. And then I just got sucked right into it. So, um, mm-hmm. and I agree with you. I think there's a lot of psychology, there's a lot of yeah. other stuff going on there. A food you cannot live without. Dark chocolate. Me too. Me too. Yes. I'll, I'll, I'll just settle for any kind of chocolate in a pinch. Yeah. But just chocolate. Yeah. Um, and what motivates you to get up in the morning? Um, people. I just, if I know I'm going to talk to someone or see someone, um, 
I want to jump out of bed. I mean, the, there've been times when I've, you know, traveled and I've been alone. Like the worst thing for me is when I'm traveling on a business trip and I have that Saturday and Sunday away in the city where I'm staying and I, you know, I have to stay over because I have a Monday meeting or whatever. And that's Saturday and Sunday where I'm in a city where I don't know anyone and I'm not with my family and I'm not going to see any colleagues. Those days are, you think those would be fun days because you kind of get some solitude and you can explore, but I, I get very lonely very quickly. So for me, it's, um, knowing I'm going to see people. I, I love that. I love that. I love that. Okay. So um, your book, your book, the title of it again is Your Resources Human, How Empathetic Leadership Can Help Remote Teams Rise Above. And people can pre-order this now on Amazon. Yes. All Amazon stores around the world. They can pre-order this in English. Around yes. the world. And mm-hmm. it will be officially published in April. Is that correct? It will re- be released April 3rd in April 2023. 3rd, which is really not and, that far uh, away anymore. <laughs> not that far away. Yeah. Yeah. Don't freak me out, Joanne. <laughs> it's not that far away. Uh, yeah. No, but yeah, it's coming up. But uh, if you follow me on TikTok um, or subscribe to my newsletter, which Joanne will put in the show notes, you will be able to follow along and get book news. And um, I am doing some talks to companies um, who've asked me to come and talk about hybrid work and leadership. And I'm looking forward to that. So um, yeah, I think you're going to be quite uh, in demand, my dear. That's what I think. And they can (laughs) also follow you on LinkedIn. They can follow you on LinkedIn as well. if that's totally. their social network of choice. And I think you said you were still on Twitter, but I don't know. I'm hanging at, at the exit. <laughs> I'm a deactivator, um, actually. And um, I'm very, very happy with that decision. We can talk more about that offline if yeah. you're interested. But yeah. okay. So thank you very much. And it's been a pleasure. It's been great talking to you, Joanne. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to Marketing Mindfulness and Martinis. If you liked what you heard, please share with your friends. Give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify so other people can find us and hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. If you've got a question you'd like answered or a topic you'd like me to cover, please drop me a note. Info at joannetombrakis.com. And until next time, remember... Whatever got you to where you are isn't enough to keep you there.